Problem is, he asked the question that he refused to listen to. This is a problem with the world right now. John chapter 18, uh, verses 28 through 40. That's where we're at. I had a couple of thoughts about this as, you know, I was thinking about what we're going to be talking about tonight. And so let me just share with you a few observations before we dig into the scripture. This is kind of a crazy moment. Jesus has been, you know, having dinner with his disciples, celebrating the Passover. He has washed his disciples' feet. He's given them lessons. He's taught them one final lesson as they walk to the Garden of Gethsemane. He's prayed to his father in the last moments before his arrest. He's been arrested because of the betrayal of one of his closest followers in Judas for 30 pieces of silver. He had a sham, multiple sham trials in front of the Jewish leaders where they brought forth false charges and broke many of their own laws in terms of how to do a trial, many of which include having a trial on a high feast holiday, doing the trial at night, not having the trial in the appropriate place, uh, the high priest and the members of the Sanhedrin actually making accusations when they were supposed to be impartial judges. And so we see this happening to Jesus. And now we actually move to a different section where he is no longer being tried before the Jewish leaders, but before the Romans. And so this is what I was thinking about. You know, this is the really the breakdown of what's going on <clears throat> over the last week of Jesus's life, he entered into Jerusalem on a donkey and a large portion of, of his supporters gathered together in Jerusalem to bring him support as they were waving palm branches. And this guy who seemed to stir up a lot of garbage over the last three years and who has constantly been pushing against the establishment, both cultural and the religious establishment or the political establishment as in Israel, those were kind of the same thing outside of the Romans. And we've seen the fear of the popularity that he has and the establishment pushing back against him, going so far as to want to put him up on fake trials, to push false accusations against him in order to make sure he is put to an end. They're looking to kill him. Now, that description has zero pun intended for whatever you might be thinking is going on in the world right now. But it did make me think of something that does culturally represent, uh, you know, modern times. There's, uh, there's a show, I've never actually watched a full episode of this show. I've only seen clips, so maybe I'm off in my thinking, but have any of you ever seen the show Undercover Boss? Anyone seen that? Let me, uh, I don't, I've never seen the whole, the whole episode of the show, but from what I've seen, this is what goes on. Uh, some CEO, some millionaire steps down uh, from 
his office in the sky, takes off the suit, and puts on the uniform of the blue-collar worker, right? And he goes and he goes into the factories or the restaurants, and he goes and he works under middle management or lower management, and he gets to know his employees on a very personal level, people that have worked for him as he works for the conglomeration way up at the top. And he humbles himself, takes off the suit, puts on the uniform, goes and talks to them. And what usually happens is one of two things, from what I understand, is sometimes there are managers that abuse their power and they have zero idea who they're talking to. And so they're treating their employees like garbage. They're taking advantage of their situation and abusing the power that has been given them in their position. And usually what happens is those people are either fired, reprimanded, or demoted. And then there's another group of people, typically the blue-collar workers out in the factories, and the CEO is working elbow-to-elbow, -elbow, getting trained by them, and those people usually have some sort of heartwarming story, but he sees how hard they work and how much they do that creates the success that he's had. And usually at the end, he uh, gives them something because of the, the service that they provide him. So uh, I've, I've heard about paying off an employee's mortgage or you know, blessing them with extra time off or making them a t from, go from a temporary worker to a full-time worker, giving them job security because of how much they've helped and things like that. Now that kind of reminds me of what's going on right now because we have Jesus, the eternal God who stepped out of eternity into time and put on flesh. He left his ivory tower. He left the suit behind and put on the blue collar work. He stepped in and who's he rubbing elbows with? The fishermen, the tax collectors. And who hates him? The elite, the establishment, the, the religious leaders. Isn't it crazy that the religious leaders hate the God they say they serve? But that's what this reminds me of. And so when we get into verse 28, we move from a Jewish court to a Gentile court where Pontius Pilate stands before Jesus. So let's dig in. Verse 28, Jesus, or then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the Praetorium, basically to the Roman court where they were going to be judged in Judea. And it was early morning, but they themselves did not go into the praetorium, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Pilate then went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? Now, let's address a couple of things already. Now, first of all, they've brought him to a Gentile court, to a non-Jewish court, because... They are seeking a sentence of death, and because of Roman rule, the Jews were no longer able, legally, to sentence someone to death. So they bring him over to the Gentile court. And then it says they don't want to go into the praetorium themselves. They hand him completely over to Gentiles. And they don't want to go in themselves because they don't want to be defiled because they're supposed to be celebrating the Passover. Well, I thought Jesus just celebrated the Passover the night before. What's going on? Well, one of two things is possible, uh, or both of them possible at the same time. One is they could be referring to the Passover in relation to the Feast of Unleavened Bread as one event, because that kind of culturally is, the, is very much the same thing. Passover kicks off the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and it lasts for one week. 
And so you have to make separate preparations for the Feast of Unleavened Bread the night after Passover. Um, but it's a continuation of Passover for one week, and it's still a symbol of the exit from Egypt, and still the it was originally instituted during the Passover time at Egypt. Now, the other possibility is that because of the way that the calendar works, this could have been a special year where uh, they might have had two Passovers in a row because of just the way that their calendar works. And that's very possible. Um, either way, Jesus is crucified on Passover. Now, here's another thing I want to get to, because this reminds me of another story. But not a cultural story, a true story, a biblical story. In Genesis 37, we're invited into a new character's story. And what happens is we meet Jacob's favorite son. Jacob, who is eventually called Israel, meets his favorite son, right? This is where we get introduced to Joseph in the story in Genesis. Now, Joseph clearly favors, or Jacob clearly favors Joseph over the rest of his sons. And the reason why is Joseph is the firstborn from Rachel, the wife he actually wanted. And Joseph is born, and this favoritism goes so far in that he even gives Joseph a special coat, a coat of many colors. But Joseph's brothers are pretty jealous of him, and this moment comes up. This is in verses 31 and 32. It says, They took Joseph's tunic, killed the kid of the goats, and dipped the tunic in the blood. Then they sent the tunic of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, We have found this. Do you know whether it is your son's tunic or not? Now that is taken out of context, so I bet you're wondering, what am I talking about? Well, what happened is, Joseph's brothers decided they were going to sell him into slavery. And they sold Joseph into slavery for 20 pieces of silver. And the negotiation was led by Judah. For the price of a common slave, they sold their brother, and then they took the tunic that was given to him by his father that represented his status, and they took it away. And then they put blood, blood on the tunic from the goats, which is a sacrificial animal. And then they brought that blood to their father and they presented the blood to their father to show that Joseph had died. Now, Joseph is actually sent off to Egypt at this point in time. But here's the story. What represented Joseph's status was that tunic. That tunic has been removed and he has been humiliated. And now he's been handed over to the Gentiles. And his blood, or I should say lamb's blood, was presented to the father. Now we find a couple of chapters later in Genesis 39, as he's with the Gentiles, this is what goes on. He's serving in Potiphar's house, an Egyptian, a well-to-do Egyptian, but Potiphar's wife makes a pass at Joseph and Joseph runs away. Uh, and then she blames Joseph for the problem. And here we pick up in verse 13. It says, And so it was when she saw that he had left, left his garment in her hand and fled outside. So Joseph is gone. He's refused her attempt at pass. But now she has his garment in her hand. 
So she called to the men of her house and spoke to them, saying, See, he has brought us in, uh, in to us a Hebrew to mock us. He came in, uh, he came into me and cried out with a loud voice. And it happened that when he heard that I lifted my voice and cried out, that he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. So she kept his garment with her until his master came home. Then she spoke to him with words like these, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you brought us, brought to us came in to me and to mock me. So it happened, as I lifted my voice and cried out, that he left his garment with me and fled outside. So it was when his master heard the words which his wife spoke to him, saying, Your servant did to me after this manner, that his anger was aroused. Then Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. So what happens? Joseph has his glory removed, his status removed. He's humbled and humiliated, and he's sold for the price of a common slave by Judah, and then he's given over to the Gentiles, where he is put into a Gentile court. Now let's pick up where Jesus' story is. Jesus was betrayed for the common price of a slave at 30 pieces of silver by a man named Judas, which is the same name as Judah. One is Hebrew, one is transliterated into Aramaic and Greek. So they're both betrayed for the common price of a slave in silver coins. And then both are handed over to the Gentiles and put into the Gentile prison. Now, if we were to extend this metaphor even further, or this parallel, I should say, Joseph is put in prison between two prisoners, one who mocks him and one who ends up being blessed. And Jesus is hung on a cross between two criminals, one who mocks him and one who asks to be remembered, just like Joseph. Now, let's pick up where we left off. Verse 30 says, They answered and said to him, If he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up to you. Now here's another connection. Why was Joseph in prison? Because he was falsely accused. Why is Jesus there? Because he was falsely accused in a sham trial. Then Pilate said to them, you take him and judge him according to your law. Therefore the Jews said to him, Is it not lawful for us to put anyone to death, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled which he spoke, signifying the death he would die? Meaning, in accordance, according to Jewish law, the death Jesus should have died from the charges they were bringing is they should have stoned him. And they didn't, which is interesting. Even though they weren't legally allowed to put someone to death, and that job was handed over to the Romans, you'll see not too long from now, the Jews put Stephen to death for following Jesus, and they stoned him to death. So why did they not do that to Jesus? Jesus predicted exactly what they would do, and they did it. They wanted Jesus to experience the most cruel death. What they didn't understand was they were doing exactly what Jesus said they would do, and in the meantime, fulfilling prophecy and doing exactly what God said they would do. So Pilate entered the praetorium, again called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And so now we see the next character, Pilate. 
Pilate shows up. Now, what we know from history about Pilate is not a lot, but what we do know is that he wasn't originally Roman. He was from Spain, but he ended up marrying Caesar's daughter. And so he got this privileged position, but he ended up in a place he didn't like. He ended up in Judea. He hated being there. He didn't like the people. It was constant problems at every feast, and he didn't like it, and he was known historically for his cruelty. And so already he's sneering, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him and said, are you speaking for yourself about this, or did others tell you this concerning me? And Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? So he doesn't even really want to listen. He's saying, look, your people brought you to me. What'd you do? Jesus answered and said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not here. And so Jesus' response to Pilate's question of, are you a king? Because here's the problem. If someone claims to be a king, then what they're claiming is opposition to the Roman Empire, and they would be put to death. But Jesus' response is, I am a king, but my kingdom is not of this world. At least not yet. Remember when Jesus was teaching his disciples how to pray? And he said, my kingdom come, or your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're asking ultimately for the physical kingdom to come. Right now, the spiritual kingdom is there. It's not of this world, but we are asking for the return of Christ and for the physical kingdom to come. But at this moment, Jesus says to him, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, we wouldn't be having this problem. Now, Pilate, therefore, said to him, are you a king then? And Jesus answered and said, you, are rightly, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born. And for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Now, it's interesting. He says, yeah, I am a king, but I was born for this purpose. And in the moment, he's putting up his life in the place for everyone else. He's using, calling on this purpose first. Now, Jesus will eventually return as the physical king. But right now, he's the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. Which brings me to another story. David and Goliath. In this moment, you see two armies facing off against each other, refusing to go to battle. But Goliath steps out into the valley for 40 days, taunting the Israelite army, telling them that if they would just fight him, we could get this over with. Because if you'll fight me, if one of you beats me, we'll be your servants. But if I beat you, if I kill you, then you'll become our servants. And so what Goliath is offering is two options, death or freedom. If you lose to him, the champion of the Philistines, then you die. And the nation ends up becoming servants of paganism and false worship. But if you win, 
You are now free from that oppression. And nobody does it. Not King Saul, not a single member of the army, but David comes along from his father's fields where he was tending the sheep. The good shepherd walks in and says, I'll deal with this. The good shepherd comes in and he defeats Goliath and he frees Israel from that oppression. And he comes in as a shepherd. He actually defeats Goliath with a shepherd's tool, wearing a shepherd's tunic because he came in from the fields. He wasn't a member of the army. He was a shepherd at the time. But the interesting thing about David and Goliath, which is found in 1 Samuel 17, is that in 1 Samuel 16, David was anointed the next king of Israel. And even though he was rightly a king, that battle he fought as a shepherd. Jesus right now says to Pilate, you're right that I'm a king, but I was born for this reason. In this battle, he fights as the good shepherd where he lays down his life for his sheep. And Jesus, when Jesus says this, he says, for this cause I was born and I have come into this world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And Pilate says to him, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. Now Pilate asks a question, but he never waits to hear it answered. Pilate takes his position and he abuses it. He has an opportunity to hear from the king of the universe, from the God who created all, the one who created life, and the one who's going to lay down his life for his creation, he has an opportunity to hear what is truth. He asks the question, but he refuses to listen to the answer. Now, he doesn't find guilt with Jesus. He's right in his judgment. And he walks out to meet the people and says, I don't find any guilt with this man. But that's not the problem. The problem is he asked the question that he refused to listen to. This is a problem with the world right now. There is a consistent search for truth. There is a generation looking to figure out what is happening. We are a world in chaos. We seem to be a step away from World War III every day, according to the news, if you listen to it. Our economy is in disaster. We have our enemy nations putting together a gold-backed currency pretty soon to go onto the world stage. And our currency, which is backed by the fact that the world trades in our currency, will now have another option. Our future is no longer sure because our currency is backed by nothing else than world trade, particularly oil. And there's another option out there, and some countries are even starting to trade in the Chinese yuan. So we have a generation who has no idea what's coming for them, who might not experience the freedoms that we have or experience the wealth or the comfort that we've had. And it's going to come, if it comes, without warning. The world right now is a scary place. There's nothing sure. And in the meantime, they're just being told to chase after whatever they feel in the moment. Whatever their truth is that makes them happy, right now. If it makes you feel good, it must be true, or your truth is good for you, however you feel inside. Don't worry about what's objectively true. 
to the rest of us and to the outside standard. And there's search for truth. And Pilate had the same problem. He lived in a pagan society where all kinds of corruption was all around him and cruelty. And he had the answer right in front of him and he asked the right question but refused to listen to the answer. Jesus is right there. And that is kind of how I view the church today. There's a world out there, and many of them are asking the right question. A whole lot of them are like Pilate, and they're not willing to listen to the answer. But some of them aren't. Some of them are willing to listen to the answer, and Jesus is right there. Jesus is right there because the church is still right there. What are we going to do about it? That's the question. We'll pick up in, in verse 39. It says, now this is Pilate addressing the crowd. He says, but you have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. Do you therefore want me to release you to you, the king of the Jews, meaning Jesus, which made the crowd a I'm sure very upset. And they all cried saying, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. This is the scene. There's two options. Pilate comes out and he addresses the crowd. So here's your two options. Every year at Passover, we let a criminal go. We have this amnesty program. Here's your two options. Jesus, who I have found no fault with, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus, the son of the living God, you can let him go. Or you can let this criminal, this infamous criminal, that you all know, named Barabbas. Now, Irenaeus, church father, tells us that his name was Jesus Barabbas. And Bar-Abba means son of a father, son of men, son of a father. Would you? So these are the two options you have before you, mankind or God. Jesus, son of God the Father, or Jesus, son of the Father. Who are you going to choose? Are you going to choose man's ways or God's ways? What do you want to do? And the crowd chooses Barabbas. As everyone is ignoring the truth right in front of them. Nobody chooses Jesus. There's good and bad news to that. One is, the truth can be right in front of you. This is the bad news. And this is where the world looks right now. The truth is right there. The truth exists in the church. It's our job to teach the world the truth. But the world can look away and choose to ignore the truth and choose man's ways put themselves first. The good news is, this had to happen. If this moment doesn't happen, then Jesus is set free, the Son of God, and there's no sacrifice given for our sin. 
Jesus knew what was going on. He predicted what was going to happen. He already knew what their choice was going to be three years ago, at least probably 33 years ago. Eternity ago, he knew what they were going to do. And because of this choice, as we get into the next chapters, Jesus goes to the cross where he's put between two criminals. And we see that binary choice again. One who mocks him, one who understands, who's sitting right in front of them. It's kind of like the undercover boss thing from the beginning. If you really knew that you were talking to the boss, how would you have handled yourself in that situation? Right? All those, all those managerial candidates from that show, there's no way they would have acted like that if they knew it was the boss right in front of them. The crowd doesn't seem to know who they're talking to, and Pilate doesn't seem to know who he's talking to. Pilate mistakenly thinks he's in charge. So as the scene plays out over the coming weeks, going to find out exactly how much in charge Pilate wasn't and how much in charge Jesus was, because everything that happens from this point out is spilled out and spelled out in Scripture. All foretold and all foreshadowed and predicted by Jesus himself long before the event happened. Because he knew and he wanted us to see that what happens in history in regards to him is exactly what had to happen. So that instead of bondage, we get freedom. And it's the same choice the Israelites faced with Goliath. Goliath either represented death and oppression in false worship, or freedom if you could conquer death and oppression. Jesus conquers death and oppression of sin on the cross. And if we choose him, we can make the right choice and stand on the right side and experience the freedom, the same kind of freedom that David gave, the same kind of freedom that the, the, the guy who praised Jesus on the cross got. Like the cupbearer who was enslaved or imprisoned next to Joseph, who chose rightly, ended up back in the service of the king, in the king's court, while the other guy ended up in death and separated from his people. Binary choice stands. And the question is, what is truth? And Jesus tells us that he is the, the way, the truth, and the life. Are we going to look at the truth and accept it and move in its direction and also be a people who are ready for those who are asking that question sincerely to offer them the hope that Jesus brings? I hope so. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for sending your son. Like Joseph taking off his tunic, that Jesus was willing to relinquish his glorified status and come among us and walk on this earth, step into time, step into flesh, experience the temptation, the trials, and the difficulty of life, and the worst 
treatment of any human being. And to be tortured, spit on, and beaten and sacrificed on our behalf, all for the sake of restoring our relationship with you. God, I pray that we don't lose sight. We don't lose sight of the gospel. We don't lose sight of the truth. And that when we seek truth, we see the face of Jesus. And we yearn for it. And we yearn for others to know it. God, please present us with opportunities to share the gospel to those who are willing to hear it. In Jesus' name, amen.